Right, welcome back to my podcast, The Steve and Sally Study. I'm at my brand, Woodbury House. I've got really good guests in front of me, Henry Conway. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and thank you for your time, mate. Absolute pleasure. How exciting. Um, so I don't really know how to sort of title you because you've achieved a lot. You've done a lot of things and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of condense it to you're a go-getter. You just go out there and, and achieve your goals and you come across as someone like a really kind of fun, upbeat guy. So where should we start? Thank Club promoter? I know. I was going to say I started out in that world, in the world of clubs. So I'm, yes, sort of multi-discipline discipline character as it were my my what was someone said that i had like a portfolio career which i feel is like very millennial <laughs> <laughs> that's actually very a really like a cool. late millennial that's a really really good way of articulating it yeah. so um my former business partner a guy called michael very very good friends with me still and we still do a bit, bit of business together i would say he used to live i live in uh kent so a place right, called yeah, Lock, yeah. locks bottom yeah, and he lived in on park street uh in near near selfridges so he was always going out quite a lot yeah and i've got to say thanks to him kind of socializing going to the clubs places like mahiki yeah uh where else the box which the is box. still going today i know i was there on friday until uh, shut <laughs> until closing time um, very dangerous what's the other club uh maddox maddox with the, with yeah. the green room we, we got a friend called josh who, who runs the, the kind of the the door there right yeah, anyway yeah. um at the time i didn't really appreciate it but as he was sort of networking in these clubs we started cultivating a bit of an audience and also a bit of um a client client list because people normally socialize in these clubs end up buying you know artworks or you know they they come down to mm. our shows they support they put it on their social media yeah. and, it, and it it really does turn into some business so was that part of the reason why you got involved with the club scene or was it just to have fun and just to give people a good time? A bit of both, I think. I mean, like I started off, um, I suppose the way I got into it is that I used to I used to have an enormous amount of friends and I used to bring them to places. And then someone said, oh, well, you know, actually, <laughs> you can be paid to bring people to things. And then it kind of started. I've just been, yeah, it was always a very very social creature. I actually did it before before I started. So the, the, the first big club that I did was Mahiki, which was um, uh, Piers Adam and Nick House and Guy Pelly. Um, and just before then, I was actually doing PR for um, uh, a gallery on Charing Cross Road called Charing X, which you may may know it was the, they represented Banksy at one point. It was okay. quite, you know, it was really quite interesting. So there was this kind of sort of crossover of like Soho life because I was going out every night anyway. And I had like a kind of little following of friends. Um, I loved it. And the like the club spaces are social. I love them for that. And you meet all sorts of people, especially back then. Um, and I think it's still true now. I mean, like I, you know, it's more... It's changed. It's kind of gone into members clubs a bit more. And um, I think the landscape has changed a bit. But like, I, you know, social spaces in London are very much unlike any other social space in the world. And I adore that mm. because it's so international. We live in the most international city in the world. So it's know. a kind of this wonderful kind of weaving and weft of 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 all sorts of people. I mean, like, even and even when I was doing my big first nights, it would be, you know, people from the art world, meeting people from the fashion world, from the finance, to, like, foreign royalty, to, yeah. Uh, and I love that. And I always think, you know, even now that I'm doing kind of bigger events, um, the best parties are ones that are, like, fully mixed of all sorts of people. Yeah. So, which was why, like, starting out in clubs in that 
that period of time was so exciting. So like um, this particular area, Soho, I love in London because there's a bit of a mix between, in my mind, Mayfair, which is very high end. And then there's a bit of like shortage and kind of like that part of London. It's a bit of a melting pot. And regardless whether you're rich, poor, middle class, straight, gay, black, white, female, male, whatever, it everything everybody's accepted here. Yeah. And what I love about the art market is exactly that. I used to raise money for bonds, loan notes, debentures, really kind of corporate stuff. And there was almost one type of demographic in that. With the art market, I've met everybody, you know, from high-end people to just regular people, and that's what I like. And when you talk about the club scene, it's exactly kind of that. When I've been to the box a few times, I would say the first version of the box where you had upstairs rather yes, than the, the new. Yeah, yeah. I preferred that setup, to be honest. Yeah. But that's what I like about it as well, because the moment you go in there to have a good time, you could be any kind of anybody that you wanted to be. You didn't have to like act up or anything like that. It was it was a great place to network. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed that's about right, yeah. it. Yeah, and it's like I like you know being a chameleon, which is like uh, a, a kind of big part of 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 I suppose my life as well because I have so many kind of like different cross streams of of people I know and I love and like my 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 social and my business is very it's very intertwined. Um, that kind of thing I adore and I love you know that that space like the box still has so they've got a new room downstairs which i think you'll quite like yeah i've been <laughs> there, been been down there. there. Um, uh, but it's like yeah that kind of like mix of i want to meet all sorts of people and lots of in all sorts of different parts and walks of lives um i mean the amount of people that i met before they were famous through clubs I and mean, you know um paloma faith used to sing at nights that i did like when she you know she was we were part of this whole vintage thing back in like 2005 six um it was a wonderful there was an infamous night called the rake hell's revels at the cafe royal before it burnt down and then was kind of re- redone and everyone went it'd be like you know jude law when she was going when he was going out with sienna miller and there were a whole kind of group of people um uh who yeah i had like all sorts of dealings with um uh the kind of burlesque scene that kind of beginning of the burlesque scene and all sorts of people came out of that mm. which was phenomenal i mean like you know young amy winehouse who i knew and used to come to my stuff as well and i loved her she was great I mean, obviously not so great towards the end but um yeah, and it was this mix of kind of fashion and art. Um, and I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to that coming back, you know, having been stuck away for two years. For sure. <laughs> the um, I've got friends of mine who are the founders of a clothing brand called Trapstar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they started it in um, Portobello Market. Yeah. They got investment by Jay-Z's company. I mean, they've literally gone for the boot of their car to this kind of massive corporate enterprise. And I've been pushing actually Mikey, who's the closest one, out the three who started it he's he was a really good friend of mine he actually you know it gives me some business advice all the time he's he's, he's really good stuff and i remember seeing him one time i was in a, an event uh at this club it was a trap star event it might have been a collaboration actually with somebody else and he was sitting there and everyone else was kind of really partying hard around him mm. and he was kind of looking into the midst of the crowd and i caught him sort of gazing out and i pulled him to a side and i said like you're here but you kind of not. I said, like, mm. you don't seem to get pulled into like as 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 much excitement as everybody else. Because I'm going to be honest. Sometimes when I've been to the box, I just lose my <laughs> shit, and I yeah. just, you know, I I don't leave. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> and um, he said, "This is my office." He yep. said, "The moment I come in, this is my office." And I thought, I've got a lot of respect for people that can go to the clubs who don't 
get used by the clubs in actual fact they use the club as a as a networking opportunity yeah, and i think so. it, you can go one way or the other sometimes it, it can be quite risky being in the clubs all the time because of the obvious drink yeah, drugs, drugs you know the, the girls or men that you're trying yeah. to follow around um but then on the other side if you keep a level head you can actually do some really good business off the back end of it. So you must have had a oh God, bit, very, bit, bit of a taste of maybe Very much both. so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I was always quite, I'm quite a disciplined character. I mean, like, you know, I'm known as being a socialite. Really, you know, the press would, the press would call me a socialite. You know, so when I appeared on television um, quite regularly um, in the past, like, 10 years, they were, you know, it would normally be like the socialite Henry Conway or blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but, but actually, you know, the, 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 for example, in like 2000, I think it must have been 2007, eight. I was running three of the biggest nights in London. Um, I had Mahiki, I had Bungalow 8. There was a place called Meyer. I don't know if you remember Meyer on the top, at the top of um, Dean Street. Um, and like, you know, and I was like the last to leave because, you know, I had the big tables. It was just actually, it must have been 2007 because it was just pre-crash. I mean, back in the day when people wouldn't blink for doing 15,000 pound minimum spend tables, which, you know, didn't happen after post, post that crash. But I was very disciplined of kind of, you know, I still am. I can drink, I can drink most people under the table, um, but I never touch drugs. It was one of the things that I always was very, very disciplined about. I've never even, and I, you know, genuinely, hand on heart I've never taken a line um, uh, and, that, and, in, and, and that's in that's, that environment where it's that's why everywhere you know and I'm going to be honest not you as an individual yeah. but anyone in that it's like a numbers game the more times you're in that environment you probably would think that someone would crack yeah. and they end up doing it um, but I've seen so many people who are good business people good investors that get involved with the clubs and then eventually Drugs do does seep into into their life, and then day to day they're doing it, and you see them go downhill. And sometimes it's very very difficult to come out the the other side of it. Oh God, yeah. And I saw it with people that came to the clubs as well. It was not just the people who like you know. Um, uh, oh yeah, know I'm, they, I'm referring know, they, to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I knew that there were plenty of people who worked in the nightlife industry who I now lo- no longer do because they they burnt out because they were using chemicals to. I mean, like you know, the late nights sometimes you're finishing at five in the morning. Of course, um, and then like you know you want to wind down a bit so you then you know carry on at an after party so i like the temptations especially in that in our world is so kind of extreme um but you know i would see it with clients as well i mean you know especially back then like the pressure on bankers just just at that cracking point i remember especially like maybe you know we keep referring back to 2008 but there was that there was this cracking point where you remember, Lehman's were going down. All of these other big places were going down. And Bradford and Bingley, yeah, Northern Rock. Like everything yeah. was, you know. Um, and you could see that people were really relying on drugs to, like, get them get them through. I mean, you know, people would come to the, you know, leave straight from the office, come to the nightclub, and then go back to the office. And, like, there's only one way to keep yourself going. Yeah. And like, Red Bull is probably not going to do it. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm glad that we're now in a in an era and I do feel that we are now in an era that looks after your mental health and your state generally of well-being a lot more than we, anyone used to well we've got the rise of like things like uh, being a vegan or plant-based yeah. and yeah, that, yeah. that normally is attached to you know part of that peg you know it's pegged to mm. mental health it's pegged to training it's pegged to fasting it's pe- pegged to um, you know like um you know, cold water therapy, all this kind of stuff. And I think there is a culture now of that. But like you said, back in 2007, 2008, 2009, the credit crunch or the banking crisis, 
there was a lot of pressure, certainly with anyone in business, to wine and dine your clients. Yeah. After work, take them to a very nice restaurant, Michelin style, Hakkasan yeah. or a Nobu or something like that. Then you go to a club, you spend five to ten grand on, on that table, really show show them the life. And then you you walk out of that club five, six o'clock in the morning, and then you've got a choice. You either go home and try and sleep, or you go to the office, sleep under your desk, and within about an hour or two, you're back up and you're, you're smashing the phones or smashing work. And unfortunately, even though that sounds quite glamorous at the start, yeah. you burn out very quickly and your life suddenly starts to kind of uh, dissolve away, you know? Totally, totally, totally. And I saw, I saw it happen time and time again. Um, and obviously, with, you know, great friends, you'd always try and make some sort of intervention. There were definitely a few people that I, you know, I kind of encouraged to get help because um, you can see it and you can recognize it, you know. Um, and there are some people that you just can't help, which is very sad. I mean, like, you know, Amy Winehouse being one of them, um, I didn't know very well, but I kind of knew. Um, uh, Peaches Geldof used to come to all of my stuff. So like, like, like someone like an Amy Winehouse, yeah. like, Backbone, talent. backbone of our of our culture as far yeah. as music's concerned yeah. and obviously so much emotion in her music and, and stuff and she was kind of I don't know her I just can only, only tell you what I saw through the media but yeah. almost like a black and white character if she thought something she would just say it she was there was no kind of filter which mm. I admire about her mm. I, I admire that about many people like that um, but you know could you see her coming to club and think she's she's yeah yeah if someone was a bit you know not and there's a yeah it, it, there's definitely a type I mean like she yeah she should could be kind of quite she was always very kind even when even when quite wasted but she was um, you know she would always like hand out cigarettes you know even if fans came up if you were outside on the street I remember the smoking you know was it did she die before the smoking ban I remember being on the street where she gave cigarettes to some fans and like it was back in the day I mean it was pre um, camera phones so I remember this girl getting her like little Ixus cannon out <laughs> you know remember those and, and, and she was like totally cool about having pictures she wasn't fussy at all but yeah you could tell Lee McQueen used to he used to come to a night um, I interviewed in a, his nephew I uh, did you yeah, 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 yeah. he's a guy called Gary oh, yeah, so yeah, he used yeah, to yeah. work with Lee and obviously when that uh, you know bad moment in his yeah, life happened yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he went into depression as well and I, I think a little bit of like not being an alcoholic but drinking a bit yeah. too much and then he said to himself right I've got to take everything that my uncle Lee gave me and turn it into my thing and now he's in the fashion space for his for himself Good. the art space doing nfts um but yeah so i have a little bit of an insight an insight to, into to, into him yeah i mean he used to yeah see he i had some kind of satellite friends that were friends with him as well um and he came to yeah so it's where the box used to be it was a club called too too much right um I think it was like Patrick Cox had something to do with you. Remember Patrick Cox's shoes and blah, blah, blah. I do. I used to wear them uh, The school. Wannabes, exactly. Wannabes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wannabes. W's on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually where Jodie, yeah, Jodie Harsh did her first night there as well, which is called Circus, which was kind of, you know, okay. this kind of great space where <laughs> everyone could dress up exactly how they wanted. And it was kind of gender bending and... I love that. That was brilliant. It was part of the, yeah. I've never heard of that. It That's was. It was very yeah. kind of like, you know, when I when I started doing clubs in, in London, I mean, like, I was an extraordinary thing. It was, you know, I used to dress up to the nines and I, you know, sort of felt like the only gay in the village in the straight club world. I didn't really like the gay clubs very much. Um, and, you know, lovely people like, lovely Jodie Harsh, who I must have met when she was like... 
18 or something like that. I think, right. you know, um, brought her into this, brought her into some of the straight clubs. So she came and played Mahiki and, um, and Bungalow 8 when I was doing that with Amy Sacco. Great fun. I mean, now it's wonderful. She's now assigned to Warner um, and drag is in the mainstream as well. But I mean, like back then, it was so extraordinary to see a drag queen in a straight club. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, it just didn't happen. It was like a very... I mean, I, you know, I'm really taking it back. There was a place called Attica. I don't know if which Attica, was a, which was a famous Belmont place in, um, in Soho on Kingley Street. And I remember, I mean, at one point, I must have been in the early noughties, it's where like everybody went. You know, I used to see, like, it's the first time I saw Leonardo DiCaprio in a club and Toby Maguire who actually I didn't recognize and kicked off my table. <laughs> and my friend was like, what are you doing kicking Toby Maguire off your table? This is outrageous. I was like, I don't know. I think he's quite cute, but this is my table. Um, and, uh, but I remember, so I was kind of helping them a bit. Um, uh, or was I, was I helping? No, I think I was just going there a lot at the time. So they all knew me. Um, and I remember one night having a date and taking a boy in there um and we had like a, you know cheeky snog at the table and the bouncer was like henry we love you but like actually can you not because of the other customers in and i was like and then i accepted it was the early noughties i just kind of accepted it and was like okay sure we'll just like go to a gay place in soho so and like that you know different times different times in different spaces but even in those say you know to kind of take it back to what we we're talking about even in those safe spaces um at the time people like mcqueen and like i remember i remember he would have on days and off days um uh, and i remember specifically kind of one night where he just didn't really say anything at all and he was like you know very quiet and a bit miserable really bless him um uh maybe and, slightly bipolar yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. It must be must be must be and um uh you know even if you've got all of that kind of you know you're in a safe space you're you know you're gay you're surrounded by lots of people who are and who are just accepting who you are you know there are certain demons that will still kind of get you but yeah. like luckily i feel that the the way that the world is being shaped now um and especially in nightlife as well like you know gay is like gay, certainly in my clubbing lifetime gay has become cool uh, to a certain extent it was like they it always used to be the Sunday night, the random Sunday night night that like the big nightclubs were put on. Um, I, I, I think I was telling you before, my, um, uh, at one point I was creative director of Head Candy for Ministry of right. Sound. So I worked for Ministry for about two years. Um, and this would be 2010, 2011, which actually isn't that long ago. But I remember us having these like long conversations about how to kind of bring the LGBT community into the commercial space because it was still, even then, like Sync the Pink was starting, which is now a big commercial thing. That's actually just finishing, but there were these big commercial kind of gay nights that, that could be seen as accepted and cool. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of, you know, I, th I, you know, I think that's kind of where like the idea of Glitterbox, we heard of Glitterbox right, yeah, has I kind have. of started, which is now a huge thing in Ibiza um that they did with and i remember the kernels of that it didn't it didn't end up taking off for a couple of years but the kernels of that were all around that kind of time so it's amazing now that it's you know it's blossomed into definitely into something that's great well one just sort of just added to what mm. you just said there uh, again this cross-pollination between music fashion art etc but the mm. world i was from originally yeah. you know raising money for bonds for example like a property bond yeah. which is paying a client 10% per annum 
you know, they get they get their money back after three years. Very boring. And it, like I said, it just seemed like they were all kind of robotic, the demographic in that. It was just very, very, there's no flair to it. Yeah. But the moment I got into the art market, I found a whole different group of people. And, you know, there was, there was loads of different demographics, which I find really, really exciting. So look, there's a couple of things that you said there that I want yeah. to kind of go down. Um, Am I right in saying I, I read that there was uh, a night that you put on called "Fuck Off, I'm Rich"? Uh, yes, there was a deal. Well, it kind of followed me around slightly. It was it was actually genuinely not my idea, but we we kind of did it as a. The press really ran with it. It was one of those. I mean, obviously, it's a very easy thing to like attack somebody for. Um, and I, we and I, you know, I put my name to it, and we did the night because I thought it was quite funny. Because it was all, you know, it's, it's, it's tongue in it's tongue in cheek, and I'm kind of like, you know shameless it was like a shameless night because we've you know it was a um a club on sloan square and you know the majority of the people that went to said club were very privileged kids um and i'm like you know call it you know call it what it is <laughs> it is was like it literally most of the people who went to this nightclub were fuck off i'm rich so I'm like be what you want to be just own it <laughs> mm. which actually i think is quite a now thing to do absolutely you know, if you look at the kardashians you look at kanye west i mean like talk about real fuck off i'm rich you know yeah they are the living breathing embodiment of fuck off i'm rich a- absolutely. just do anything <laughs> so 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 i think it's genius because like if i saw that even today i'd be like i'm really intrigued by that yeah. like if there was an art show say fuck off i'm rich yeah. i'll be like i want to go to that i don't even know who's presenting i don't know who's <laughs> going to be there but just you know uh guessing from that title it's going to be really interesting it's <laughs> going to be really fun and it's going to be some cool people there yeah. who came up with that concept and who came up with that idea that was so that was a, yeah, it was a combination of the the club owner and me and a few others um and yeah, and I but also I was kind of known for doing parties with esoteric titles. You know, I'd always, I mean, like the beginning of Mahiki, I would love, I, you know, like many, many Brits, I love a fancy dress party <laughs> um, uh, and anything that's really silly. So, you know, infamously at Mahiki, we were... Um, uh, we were famous for having the young royals quite a lot. Um, Harry and William and William and Kate, especially when they were courting. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, generally the kind of young royals would come to a lot of our stuff. Um, and, and like, actually, I always found like with, with, with some, if you have some mega, mega famous people in a room or coming to things regularly, um, Fancy dress is amazing because they can put on a mask and like they can get in without being photographed or they can like wander around, you know, wander around like the more public rooms without knowing. So William, for example, I know once came as Spider-Man so that he didn't get recognized. I think that was, uh, you know, back then that was quite a... And he did Batman for another party, I think. Genius. Um, which is great because everyone was like, you know, he was a tall dude who was like, you know, with his other public school friends, but no one knew that it was him. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of brilliant. So he could be a bit anonymous when he came into the came into the club and not be swamped because certainly, you know, back then they would be, you know, you can imagine now. Yeah. I mean, now I wonder, I mean, like they were quite unusual... They're quite unusual times because they were pre-camera phone. Um, it's it's very different now. I mean, you you have you have clubs now that will put stickers on your phone, which I think is. We used to have a policy at Mahiki if it was like a mega mega night that you'd have to check in your phone at the all cameras. You get frisk for literally your like Canon Xs um, at the at the door. Um, but there wasn't that like snap 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 sent to the 
male or you know it was it was uh which i think has changed the dynamic a bit now so mm. people could be a little bit kind of freer but um but yeah no it was uh it was yeah i i love i love esoteric parties and i love i love that kind of sort of playing with things i think it's it makes for interesting it makes for interesting parties i like to mix it up i mean one of my you know client at the moment um that i launched uh is a restaurant called park row which okay. was the old titanic the market yeah. pr white titanic so big space and it's been invested in by warner and it's all kind of batman themed so for the opening, I was like, we just need to go full 90s Batman. It was great. I did it with my uh, business partner, Mikey Hennigan. And um, and it was just, we, we did a rocking party. Um, we had like Groove Armada play and Hot Chip. And we had the whole place lit as if it was like a 90s Batman party Quite scene. Late. It was so much fun. And like, you know, and theme it up. I love a bit of a theme. I, I you know, I have a reputation for a bit of a theme. I love, a, I love theming things. So uh, if I can ask, yeah. I mean, I, so bit of background about me. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I got bought into boxing when I was 14 years of age. And thanks to boxing, it gave me a lot of confidence. And without boxing, I don't think I would have got into business for myself because I, I just think it, it gives you that fighting mentality, which you need in business because things are not always going to go right. You're yeah. always you're going to be attacked as in, you know, there's coronavirus, there's a recession, you know, uh, sometimes you can't pay the bills. You, you need mm. that kind of do or die kind of mindset. And that's what boxing gave me. Anyway, I used to box for a club called Bromley and Downham, very, very close to my heart, amateur club. They were about to go under and part of the club, there was a youth centre attached to it. So basically loads of young kids, females and males, were going to be almost put back on the streets or didn't have a place to go to because it was going to shut down. So I donated money with a load of other people and we kept it alive. And then Prince Philip came down to reopen because originally when Bromley Dunham started many years ago, he was the first person to open it up. Mm. So I got to meet him and he was an absolute wicked guy, really tall. And what I remember about him is his hands. They were like... <laughs> massive when he went to yeah. shake my hand i was like oh my god this guy is huge <laughs> anyway he was really into boxing we had a good talk about it etc and the perception that you get about roles is completely different in my scenario from what how they are as individuals and the reality yeah. is they're just human beings yeah so what was it like meeting someone like prince harry prince william what, what are they like wonderful i think they're really lovely people i mean like obviously harry's been going through a lot of interesting times at the moment um but I, I, yeah, I think they're really great boys. So, you know, I'm a huge royalist. So my my father at one point was um, vice chamberlain. Um, so my father was a member of parliament. He was um, in the late 90s, no, mid 90s. He was vice chamberlain to the Queen. So he was the link between parliament and the Queen. So he used to go and have to brief the Queen once a week on what her ministers were up to. Um, and... Yeah, so I got, you know, I got to meet her. I met her at a garden party on my 21st birthday. It was the first time I met her. Um, and uh, and she was wonderful. And I know they kind of sort of taught, you know, there was that kind of reference point of, I, I'm the exact um, uh, age as William. We're, we're the same academic year. He was wow. at Eden and I was at Harrow. So I know that they used to start when Daddy, you know, they'd start off the audience, like basically sort of comparing, being like, you know, so William is playing a lot of sport and I'm doing a lot of arty things. That was the kind of, you know, the the sort of giggling vibe. What is Henry up to? What is William up to? Um, and uh, but they, you know, what they are, they, you know, they are they are who they are. Um, uh, and uh, you know, if you are the heir to the throne, it's obviously always going to come with 
so much. You know, there are so many people who will surround you, who want things from you, who are trying to befriend you and blah, blah, blah. But I think they've done a pretty good job at staying relatively normal, um, if I'm honest. And I think they've had a, a, a pretty good up, upbringing. Um, uh, it, because it is, it's weird. You know, I, you know, I got, I, you know, my, my, my father was in public life for a long time. And it is, you know, it is strange when a lot of people know what you're up to, know your business as a private individual, especially as I kind of now. Um, it's, it's weird, like, you know, when my father was an MP, people would kind of like, you know, come up to you in the in the supermarket when we were little and sort of you know chat to my father and chat to my mother and it's strange knowing you're kind of like in public spaces you're you're kind of on display um nothing to the extent that they are but I can kind of understand yeah so it must be very strange to be you know it's it's that idea that everyone feels they kind of have a piece of you and when when I first started to get kind of well known it's a it's a funny thing. I can see how they sort of retreat slightly because at one point I was, you know, I was in the papers a lot, um, and uh, and it's yeah, it's a it's a very it's an odd thing to navigate. It's a very odd thing to navigate, and it's really interesting to see sort of like you know how Harry's dealing with it now and the things that he's coming out with, um, you know, phone hacking, which clearly happened to a lot of yeah, I mean, it happened to a lot of friends of mine. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I remember carefully, like quite vividly trying to have to deal with like journalists that were trying to come into things at Mahiki and at Kits and all of these other clubs that the, you know, the uh, boys and then um, uh, Princess Beatrice and Eugenia would come to quite a lot. Um, because, you know, journalists would try and get in and like get stories or get pictures or bribe your bouncers or bribe your general you know bribe your gm all of those kind of things it so was a, they were literally saying to people in and around your, your 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 circle i'll give you some money if you tell me some gossip about henry and maybe family members oh yeah yeah totally totally i mean i know that i for example i know when i was kind of going through it i was um they a, f- a friend of mine um i then discovered who was in ju- you know who was in journalism said that the news of the world were trying to desperate to get a picture of me taking drugs and as i told you i've never taken a drug in my life um uh and there was i mean, uh, I mean it, no, it was really extraordinary because they were to the point where they were trying to get like somebody taking drugs taking it uh, they wanted a picture of someone taking drugs in a nightclub behind me which i gather was like a set you know they as in a, like a setup um uh which was another newspaper which i should not mention in case i get sued but um uh, but i mean like those were the lengths that people went to i mean infamously like the paparazzi i used to have you know some run-ins with the paparazzi i mean like it's much better than it was but like certainly back then i mean they were quite vi- you know a lot of them were ex-cons really vicious would scream you know would scream at guests of mine me to try and get a reaction a picture well fu- funny funny you should say this so as i mentioned before we start this podcast i i've interviewed a bunch of people and one of them is a good friend of mine called lewis burton and he was mm. known you know he's, he's a great tennis player model um he goes out lottie tomlinson now um he's got a great life 
wicked guy, but he's also known for going out with Caroline Flack. And, and sadly, people remember the bad moment, which is Caroline passed away and he still gets hate mail now saying, oh, you're the reason X, Y, Z. And I said, like, what was it like when you used to go out with her? And he said it was great, but when we used to come out of somewhere like Sexy Fish, for example, which is a an amazing restaurant in Bartley Square, obviously you've probably mm, yeah, been there yeah, a bunch of times. It, yeah. He said the paps were always there. And as we were trying to get into the uh into like the car, like a, an Uber or whatever, they would even they would even be hands on. They would even kind of shove him to get a reaction. Or yeah. he said even one time he thinks that one of them tried to lift her skirt. And and really antagonise him because they wanted to get a reaction going, oh, you know, your your bird is this or your bird is that. Oh, I like to have a piece of her or something. So he would turn around and, and either go for them. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying yeah. to antagonise you. And I just think like, what a life. Like, why would, like, how how could you possibly be that person yeah. to antagonise someone to just try and get a story? Oh, totally, totally, totally. Because it sells pictures. Although I think actually, interestingly, the, the, the fact that there are less paparazzi now is down to the fact that, you know, pictures aren't worth as much as they they were. Um, well, thankfully, well, which well, <laughs> now we're, we're all the paparazzi because yeah, we have our, our exactly, own phones. And exactly. it's not, they're, they're not the people now with all the power. Because you used to have a bounty on your head. I mean, like, very much so. I mean, you know, I was in that period where I was in London, you know, I do remember the London Light and the London Paper, which are like the free the free newspapers in London for a kind of a period of time in the noughties. Um, and, and I would be in there a lot. Um, and it was really... It was, you know, I know there was a bounty. I know there was a bounty on my head and like certain people's. And I remember this paparazzi coming up to me who I kind of sort of knew. um, And he was actually very respectful. He was one of the few that was terribly respectful. And um, handing me the card and be like, listen, if you're ever dating someone new or you break up with someone, like, let me know, give me a call and we'll split the we'll split the pictures but like you know and we can stage it and he was like you know if you're going to break up with someone you might as well make some money out of it I was like extraordinary. really extraordinary I know it's something that a lot of celebrities did do so it does fuel it yeah um uh I, mean, I think Katie Price used to which she, I think she's very much kind of on record that she used to the, that she used to do it quite a lot um uh, I suppose it's quite a reality star sort of thing to, you know, you've got to, you know, in the days of like creating content, you know, create the drama, create the content. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how they did it back then, because you were, you know, telling your story through the tabloids. A lot of people were telling their story through the tabloids. Yeah. But yeah, I think it definitely, you know, pre pre that big inquiry into how the press was comporting themselves um it was it had kind of got to a tipping stage of viciousness that i mean which again like prince harry is very much talking about at the moment that just it it was it was really quite hideous yeah really quite hideous you know the gossip columnists who just would do anything to try and get a story yeah which kind of it's you know it it still exists but it's not you know thankfully is not in the same it's not in the same way, I yeah. don't think. What, what what you said earlier as well resonated with another conversation I had on my podcast with mm. Jack Fincham. Oh, yeah. And Jack Fincham, when he came over here, he literally met me in uh, Piccadilly, like mm-hmm. um, by the, the big screen. And I walked with him over to here. Uh, I met him through Lewis Burton, actually. Yeah, yeah. Done the podcast. And he said, in the live podcast, I was asking him about social media. And he said, look at, look at my DMs. So I went on the DMs. Open one up and literally from there to over here, someone said to him, Denim with him with him with him with him shoes on, oh you look like a disgrace. And he said, Look, 
because I'm in the public eye, people think they've got a piece of me. They can say whatever they want to me because they wouldn't say it to me because I'm not in the public eye. I'll say it to a regular person. Yeah. But yeah, if you've been on TV, it's almost like they feel like they know you. So therefore, they have a right to, to say it. And, you know, just a bit of content for the yeah. audience. And again, I'm I'm very... Yeah. Um, respectful I'm not going to yeah, talk, yeah, talk yeah, about no, stuff no. but your dad obviously being an MP there was yeah. obviously a thing that happened yeah, yeah. and there must have been a lot of pressure pressure, and, and, and people must have slandered your name or through comments that you and your dad um, that must have been quite a pressurising rising time for you oh god totally and like just lies that were told and so there were so many I remember at that time again so back to the back to the, the you know the shadier side of the press um, I remember there was a, um, a particular tabloid that were because I, I got a publicist as soon as it, as soon as the story blew up I you know I engaged a publicist and did things properly um, to kind of manage the manage the process as it were because I you know I'd done some writing at that point I'd done some journalism I kind of was ready to I was ready because I knew what probably was going to be thrown at me um and uh yeah there were all sorts of weird things there was uh you know there, there was a, a paper that called that wanted to run a story or thought they had a story about me saving up to have a sex change they said that I had like saved 30 grand to have a sex change and was like just you know what because I've worn like the odd like blouse or like you know wear some necklaces that I you know it's you know those kind of things that actually are quite homophobic and I had quite a lot of that I mean there was a there was a columnist a famous political columnist that really went for me who um I had had uh at a single boys dinner like the year before all of the stuff blew up I'd been terribly nice to him he's gay and he wrote a really kind of harsh quite homophobic like um op-ed about me um and it was extraordinary and like you know we you know he you know he was sort of a family friend um and 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 he was um uh you know we we, we called him out on it and he was like my editor said you this is the line you have to go down so and that was very much the media then but like and at the time and the time there was a it, you're, you're right i did a thing called the jump um a, a reality television 2014 um, so yeah 2014 which was great fun i loved it was a um a, a reality television ski show um and so i was on that i wear quite a lot of fur so um uh my costume uh for the actual jump part of it the ski jump part of it you know, they had really played up on the kind of sort of nights with William and Harry and all of that, you know, be, being well known for all of the Mahiki stuff. So they trimmed my costume in like fake ermine, which was amazing. It looked extraordinary. I was wearing like a, a gold spandex suit and, a, you know, an ermine collar. And um, yeah, and like at first broadcast, I get so much hate on Twitter about like, wearing fur I was like it's actually fake I was like I love real fur but like this is actually fake so you're coming after me for the wrong thing but they were I mean like you know oh I hope he falls off the edge and dies I mean extraordinary extraordinary things but I think people kind of hide behind you know people say things on social media they'd never say to your face keyboard warriors yeah exactly I mean I've done quite a lot of journalism in the past as well so you know things to the Guardian and like especially the Guardian and having been the you know the son of a former Tory MP who was known as like Tory boy you know anytime I write a piece of the Guardian underneath I know I'm going to get like a thousand comments being like why the fuck is Henry Conway writing for The Guardian? Like, absolutely outrageous. And like, it'll be going for me. And like, really, you know. But I sort of, I'm quite 
maybe I don't, this is healthy or unhealthy, I'm quite compartmentalized about it and was to begin with. And I think that sort of helped me navigate those those murky waters. I was like, there is a public me and there's a private me. And like, you know, I, you know, what, you know, the general public don't know the real me, as it were. There's never, unless you actually meet somebody. Yeah. And, you know, I know this from my days in, I've, in clubs, I mean, I've met so many celebrities over the years who are entirely different to what I perceived them to be. Um, I've always, I've always said, like, the bigger the star, the nicer they are. You know, people who you think are going to be like divas and they have a dreadful press reputation. Uh, Mariah Carey was like one of the loveliest people I ever had to bungalow eight. I mean, she was, you know, and I was expecting fireworks. You know, we were all kind of brace, brace. You know, when you we knew she was coming down to do a party with us, we're like, oh my God. Um, Guns and Roses, I thought they'd destroy the place. Like, no, I mean, you know, I did, the, I did one of their big after parties after one of the, their big Hyde Park concert. So, yeah, kind of things that, you know, perception and the reality of people, I always think are very, very different. So, so as a public figure, if you're doing kind of public things, like to, to, to know that you have a public entity and, it, and, the, and it's a separate entity, what the public think is probably going to be a very separate entity to what you are, I think is probably quite healthy. De- de- a healthy way of definitely and I think anyone sort of looking at it. doing that cr- cr- crossover whether it's becoming well known on social media or the mainstream media yeah. TV even in business like when you get well known in business um, not that I know but I've seen certain people become superstars in their field yeah. there's like the business side of it and you can never take that personally it's just about business and then there's obviously the private stuff and you shouldn't sort of kind of I know it's hard but yeah. you know cr- cr- you know you know, get get that you know get get confused which one is which yeah um i want to ask you this question yeah, right yeah. so i've had friends who've got you know high profile parents or high profile uh you know siblings or whatever you've got people that have got um i don't know really really wealthy parents um so the question i wanted to ask you is like you know having someone like your father mm-hmm. who is tory mp mm-hmm who is in a position of power, mm-hmm. you know, and no, you know, he, he obviously knows what's, what's going on with the government and stuff, I would mm-hmm. would assume. What is that like? Because I couldn't, um, my dad, as I mentioned to you, is an old school geezer, you know, just like double glazer, goes down the calf, you know, swears, you know, and he's just got his group of mates, has, has a few pints yeah. of a weekend and, and that's my dad, you know, yeah. and to have a dad who is an MP is like, wow, that's amazing. But what is that like? Is that a lot of pressure? Is it cool? Tell me a bit more about it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, people always ask what his opinion is on things, even now. I mean, he's now retired. But, like, there's always kind of, like, you know... For example, over the pandemic, I was called by Jodie a lot, Jodie Hart, and, like, various people were like, Hen, do you know what's going on? You know, when are clubs opening? What is going on? Do you have, like, any inside, you know, thinking that I have, like, or Papa has, like, a a main line to (laughs) to number 10? Um... So yes, opinions is always something that kind of people. It's yeah, it's funny because you know it. You are, yeah, you're 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 very much kind of part of the establishment, I suppose, by nature. Like British politics is quite strange, like that, in that it does, it does tend to impact on the family a bit, um, uh, in a way that it doesn't necessarily in politics in in other parts of the world. But then you know, and I I was you know I'm quite fortunate in that I grew you know the where I went to school as well. I had a lot of other friends who had well-known or influential parents 
Um, I mean, you know, sent many more that were far, you know, far, far grander. Yeah. You know, I was at school with the Jordanian royal family, and you know, the Brunei's were in the house opposite, and you know, there was there were all sorts of extraordinary people. Did, did you ever? Do you know, like where we are right now with yeah. this economy, and also with mes- most of the Westernized world, is we've been dealing with this pandemic, and yeah. people have got pro and against uh, views on it. And yeah. I've shared my views on my podcast. People, people can go back over it. Mm. But I'm respectful. Whatever they think, they think. Um, the governments are in a very, very tough position, mm-hmm. right? And I think right now, emotions are really heightened, you know, because it's almost like there's a bit of a divide going on. The question I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. it's not now, but back in the day when your dad had to make some really, really serious decisions mm-hmm. or part of making the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get people coming over go, oh, the decision your dad's made or that your the party's made – that makes you a bad person or an arsehole. Did they ever did they ever confront you because of something he had to make for government? Yeah. I would say even now, I mean like, you know, there are various people that will come to be especially as a gay I think, you know, it's really interesting. The gay community is one that tends to be more left leaning. Um and uh, and there's quite often a kind of you know it's raised if you're like if you're if you're known to be kind of like even in the Tory orbit um, uh, and in any way shape or form gay LGBT queer um, there's always kind of like you know someone will have a pop about Section Twenty Eight or like you know the great evil that Thatcher was or you know um, and my father was elected under Thatcher um, he voted for. Um, uh, for um, civil partnership and gay marriage, um, which is extraordinary and amazing and wonderful. Um, and, um, and not necessarily because of me. I've had long conversations with him about it. Um, and no, it's interesting. I think, yeah, like but they, pe- people will, yeah, can have a, uh, an opinion of you based on, based on your parents if you have influential um, or known parents. And it's a lot of pressure, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, and I'm very, I, I, you know, a lot of people actually kind of disassociate it now because I've been sort of in the public eye um, uh, as as my own entity for so long now that it kind of, it's, it's some, sometimes it's quite often sort of lost in the midst of time, which is actually quite lovely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I'm very proud of him. He's what he's, you know, he's an extraordinary, a really extraordinary man. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 yes, it's quite funny being the, the, the 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 son of it must be I think it must be very difficult if you just remain the kind of child of all your all your life especially I think if you don't blaze your own trail yeah if you, you don't yeah which I'm you know my you know my my industry is you know my parents have nothing to do with my my industry mm. um uh there was no there was no kind of sort of route into into my industry through them I suppose like you know I learned from them how to be very social and actually probably quite diplomatic as well because yeah. that's what you have to do in politics um and I think that was very helpful in 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 me now negotiating big events and people wrangling and celebrity wrangling and mm. um and all of the all of the elements of of things that go into what I do I've definitely learned from learned from my parents and my you know my wonderful mother who's a wonderful entertainer my parents entertained a lot and they obviously did in the like 80s and 90s especially when it was a thing um like such a kind of thing um big 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 dinner parties I've learned so much about entertaining from them and so that that part of their life has really influenced what I I suppose what I do now um so it's the joy of tablescaping who knew that's now a thing on Instagram <laughs> I was like we used to call it just setting the table it's like you know we've always made a table very pretty um but uh 
Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's funny. People will always ask opinions. So yeah, yeah. But uh, so what I wanted to ask you, I, I touched on this before we 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 went live. Um, you're quite a similar race to me. I, I'm, I think you're only two years older than me. And I said to you, nine forty this year. Oh uh, right, okay. So I'm thirty six. I just turned thirty six yeah, 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 in, yeah. in December. You and I both know life before social media. Yeah. We knew it before YouTube, podcasting. I mean, even really the age of the internet. Yeah. Obviously, it was a thing, but it was kind of just a thing there and it wasn't really used. Now it's everything because without the internet, there is no NFT world. There's no ordering an Uber. There's no podcast. There's, there's, there's nothing really. Yeah. So love it or hate it, it's here to stay. And in actual fact, we're being pulled into it a lot more. But what I was getting at is the culture of certain societies mm. and the environment. So you mentioned that you came out, you were gay. Yeah. You mentioned you, you came out being gay when you was at school. Yeah. And I said to you that I went to an all boys school. I know being in an alpha male all boys school, if someone was a little bit different, whether that was gay, whether that was, I know, I know everyone was into football. Everyone yeah. was into boxing. Everyone was into rugby and that kind of stuff, the typical stuff. If they were saying, I want to play I know uh, netball, crook. Ne- yeah, ne- ne- <laughs> netball. Net- netball. People would have been like, "What?" Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense. And I think there was one guy. I can't remember his name now. He never came out. He was gay, but it was kind of alluding to that's who he was. Yeah. And he was. T- uh, there's no other way of putting it. And I'm a bit embarrassed to say this, but he was bullied. It yeah. was. It was. It's as simple as that. Back then, it was almost like mum mum and dad they're not homophobic but it was almost like men are men women, women are women, women and yeah, that yeah. came from their mum and dad yeah. you know my granddad and them was obviously in the war and stuff yeah and it was that was the the environment but now i'm not saying it's easy to come out now but social media has really highlighted you can be who you want to be and become whoever you you state you're going to be so in some in some senses it can appear to be a little bit more easier to come out and to be accepted yeah. but coming out you know as a young man what the hell was that like was it quite frightening was it quite tough or was it oh just yeah a, i think it's always frightening to come out just and just like, just the evolution although, amazingly it. now i was having this discussion the other day apparently coming out it's very old-fashioned it's just like you know everything is now you know, there's no apparently there's no need to come out because you, you you one one doesn't define which is a bit you know um i mean i suppose maybe my i show my age where i'm like you know surely coming out is still a thing um, I guess but, it depends where you're from. I think in yeah. London, again, it's a, it, exactly it, it, in the society normal. that you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like, mean, you know, I, I obviously had my, you know, my fears. My father's um, uh, right-wing politician. I, I shouldn't have had any of those fears because when I came out, they were the most extraordinary people on the planet. Mm. I mean, they were so just loving, supportive, absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, as was my grandmother, who was who was alive at the time. At the time, I had one 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 remaining grandparent. Um, and yeah, I mean, like nothing but support, which actually I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought, you know, no, you know, with a with a, you know, a Tory MP as uh, as a as a as a father, they they couldn't be more loving and wonderful, um, and continue to this day as well. So um, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, like I think there's, you know. I made a decision that it was like, I am who I am and I couldn't really hold it in anymore <laughs> um, uh, at school. And I did, actually life for me became easier after I came out I, at school. Like the first 15 would started inviting me to their parties. It was really, it was, it was, 
Because I think it gets to a stage where you're just like not lying to anybody anymore or mm. not trying to hide oneself. Um, and I was never a very butch child. I was not like the rugby playing, you know. I was into the arts. I ran, I helped run the school gallery. I then went to the courtauld, you know, it was very, um, I, I was always very kind of like artistically inclined. Um, and, uh, you know, and when I did come out, most people were like we knew, and I was like, "God damn it! Like this is supposed to be like my moment. You're stealing my moment." I'm like, "Hi everyone, I'm gay," and they were like, "We all knew." Oh, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like no, I'm you know, and even at school, I remember this would be like 1999. So uh, you know, I'd get some asides from actually teachers more than the pupils, which is extraordinary. Um, but nothing that I couldn't handle. I suppose I could, you know, I consider, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm definitely a turtle with quite a, a tough shell and things just like, you know, I've always been quite good at bouncing those, bouncing those off because I'm quite comfortable in who I am, yeah. which I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've had friends who have had horrible experiences. One of my, one of my best friends, um, uh, his, his parents were um, kind of evangelical um, and like literally kicked him out when he was... I, I know. Was, I was 17, 18. So uh, a friend of mine is Turkish. Mm. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to no. speak about their, their business. Yeah, yeah. But a friend of mine is Turkish and being Muslim, yeah. it's obviously they're quiet, you know, on um, certain beliefs. Yeah. And his brother, it was kind of like there were signs that he was gay and he was a friend of us you know he was a cool guy like we used to go go out all the time and didn't think anything of it but he never was with girls or anything yeah. like that and there was a conversation once that came out and said the reason why he may not come out because the uncle apparently also came out as well and the whole family completely disowned him yeah this is what i heard yeah. okay so i don't know whether it's total fact or i'm i'm saying and I can imagine it can, in some families, in some communities, be very, very difficult. So not everyone is confident as you, no. uh, Henry. Yeah. So like, what is the advice, you know, not just about coming out being gay or whatever, yeah. but just like becoming, like just saying, no, I'm not this person who yeah. you put me in this box. I'm actually this person. Yeah. And what is that? How, how can someone approach that? I mean, actually, I think social media is a great, you know, where you can use social media for the for, for the good and for the greater good. You can find your tribe, which is which is one of the one of the extraordinary things like go to nights that uh, that um, are inclusive, like work out. And you can sort of, you know, from the privacy of your own phone, <laughs> if you're if you're not sure, you can sort of find what you should be, you know, where you feel like you you're you're accepted and wanted and fit in as well. Um, and like experiment, I think we're in an age where you can, it's, yeah, it's, you know, still, I mean, there's still a, a lot of real people with religious beliefs who are, are um, uh, make it very difficult for people to come out. I have friends who, as I just alluded to, that, um, that very much because of that have found it difficult to come out or still can't come out because of their, because of their parents. I mean, like, you know, I know a couple of people who were going to be fully disinherited if they came out. Wow. Um, who do remain in the closet. And I know their parents, you know, they're my age and their parents don't know. Um, but that could drive someone to suicide. Oh my God, it's so, I've, you know, I've, it's, inc it's incredibly sad. Um, uh, it's incredibly sad. Um, uh, you know, got married, all of that kind of stuff to a girl, but, you know, but I know that secretly they're not. So, um, 
that must be I think that must be very very difficult it's yeah it's you know encouraging somebody to sort of live their truth which is the sort of millennial the we're well, not even millennial it's like what gen gen z way of of expressing that kind of ability to just be yourself I yeah. think is a very important and great and modern thing and like checking in with people as well you know find your tribes and find your friends and support each other I think that's the most that's the most if someone goes quiet just like nudge them yeah. and the pandemic was a huge you know I don't know how you felt but I it was as such a social creature as my entire world shut down um I think checking in on people was really important and I did that a lot and a lot of people did that to me I was very fortunate um like the first two lockdowns I did with my parents and the third I did with friend um uh but I do you know if we've learned anything from it it's like you know you do have to keep just you know just even even people who are on the kind of ancillary part of your social mm. If you think something's going on, something may well be going on. If you mm. get a, you know, I'm a big believer in your gut and your, you know, Absolutely. just that feeling that something's not quite, right. not quite right or something's off. So if you feel that, just like check in and coax it out a bit and, you know, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? It's just like grab a coffee or grab a, you know, you know, back in the day when it was like, you know, under, under, under strict lockdown, it was like, let's just have like a, you know, a chat and a drink yeah. over Zoom, even if they're in a different country. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who's because of the pandemic has moved um, uh, back to Australia and we regularly have like little chats, you know, we kind of, you know, put in a time so that we can like have a, you sit down with a cup of tea and, a, and I'll have a drink or something like that just to be like, because he, you know, he's moved back to see his parents and he doesn't really know that many people. Mm. Um, and he is, was effectively trapped in Australia because of the because of the quarantine. So it's like things like that where you just like, you know, be aware of trying to. Absolutely. Just to, you know, keep tabs on people. Yeah. So look, um, yeah. you, you've got a great, great uh profile you've obviously achieved a lot you've been in in, in the scene you've obviously had good moments and challenging moments with the media been on tv you was obviously on the jump Mm -hmm. um what are you kind of doing now and what's your plan for the future well oh yeah so thank goodness things have opened up again i mean you know and they are i think i'm hoping please god touch wood that now life is life is slightly returning to to semi-normal um because i throw big events and i do you know hospitality it's like it's it's mainly restaurant launches and um and hotel launches so um uh as i was mentioning before park row which is on um uh, brewer street is a is a client so launch that and we've got really exciting things coming up because obviously it's part of that um, uh, Warner um, uh, world, so Batman stuff, um, Aquaman stuff, which is like quite fun to be involved in that kind of big side of the movies. Yeah. Um, and hopefully being able to do big events um, uh, when that all opens up. Um, for example, I mean, like, you know, people are still a little bit care- careful. We were, we were supposed to be doing a couple of the Brits parties and they've all... They were all cancelled even for this year. But I'm hoping that by the time we get to the BAFTAs, <laughs> things will be open a little bit more. Um, uh, I also look after a restaurant called Fallow on um, uh, St. James's Market, which okay. is great, which I think they're kind of on their way to get a Michelin star, which Lovely. is brilliant. Really wonderful, young, brilliant young chefs. Um, and then and then reopening a classic nightclub on the King's Road. So I'm slightly getting back into... 
back into some of my old stuff, which is quite fun. And, uh, um, and, and any, I know you probably can't say too much, but any kind of TV work in the future, maybe? Yes, indeed, indeed. I'm in talks to do uh, a travel show, which is very exciting. So we're quite, quite advanced now. Um, I was supposed to be filming it just before the pandemic, but obviously the pandemic has just put pay to the yeah. entire thing. And now that, yeah, we will be able to, you know, we're looking to film probably the end of this year because as restrictions, I mean, the problem, the problem with especially doing a travel show is like, you know, you need restrictions in the other countries that you're traveling to, to be released and quarantine. And it becomes so expensive from, from a production point of view to have X amount of crew quarantine for like 10 to 14 days. Um, so, but I feel that that is now lifting. I'm going skiing next week and um, and I don't have to do a piece of any, any form of test. That's good. To get into Austria. I'm like, hurrah, yeah. at last. Yeah, perfect. So there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's loads of big parties happening, which is great. So, you know, it's it's wonderful to be kind of back into the swing of things. And actually, I'm kind of doing bigger things than I ever did, really. Much bigger events. Um, uh, big, big openings. And we're kind of, I feel we're now getting back into a place where London could be properly buzzing and open again. And, you know, I want to get to that stage where I can't book a table in a restaurant because it's full on a Tuesday. <laughs> me, me too, yeah. me too. Look, I, I really appreciate your time. Where can people follow you, find you, if you um, want them to? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, Insta and Insta, I don't really use Twitter that much anymore. So Insta is at Henry Conway. Good Give stuff. Give me a follow, you'll see all my, see all my wild nights. <laughs> this is my last question. So when I started my business my former business when i was 24 years of age it was predominantly a sales company and on that sales company was mostly men some female but it was mostly a male environment and sales is quite simple you just got to get the sales people upbeat every single day and that comes down to discipline it comes down to routine it comes down to goals ambition Mm. hard work etc so i come up with a bit of a mantra to kind of embody all that and the mantra is this be happy never content now, my, I've actually got my take on it, which is what it means to me. I've got yeah. it in my gym at home, and I always look at it, and it reminds me about tacking the day. If I were to ask Henry Conway, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Ooh, interesting. Um, be happy. I, I, think, I think it's back to what we were talking about before, like find, you know, try and find out who you are. Um, because if you live yourself, especially as I, as I know, um, as I have... Um, the truth will set you free. <laughs> the truth will set you free. Um, yeah, enjoy yourself. And keep going out. Please, everyone, keep going out. <laughs> Great answer. Right, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, follow uh, Henry, my guest. And no doubt you're going to be seeing him on TV at some point soon. I can't wait. Definitely. And uh, everybody, remember to be happy, never content. Thanks for listening. Thanks.